Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Laurian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Between the Creations. It's so good to have you with us. I'm really excited uh, to have today's conversation because I keep having similar side conversations with uh, various people on like my Instagram messenger and uh, the get Catherine, the guest today is one of these people, but I, it's happened with actually multiple people um, in person conversations, all kinds of just different people bringing up the kinds of topics that we're going to talk about today. Um, so I'm here with with my friend Catherine. It's really interesting. Catherine and I went to like middle school and high school together, and we were just talking offline. I, we haven't seen each other <laughs> since since we graduated, which was uh, quite a handful of years ago, actually, at this point, which is maybe a little depressing. I don't know um, that it was that long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, so Catherine is a, a teacher and a mom, and you also have bees. You keep bees, which I would love to hear more about. So welcome, Catherine, and uh, just let the people know maybe about the bees, because I find that fascinating. <laughs> I know. I feel like bees are like my trendiest thing about myself. Like everything else is like very mediocre, but bees seem to uh, get people excited. But um, yeah, I'm a mom of three. I was a teacher before I had um, kiddos, so I've been staying home with them for gosh, my oldest just turned six. So six years um, of kind of being a full-time mom, but kind of in the middle of that started keeping bees because we moved out to a piece of property that needed an ag exemption on it. And so I was like, sure, I can do that and promptly (laughs) killed all my hives and then kind of got better at it. Now I have between 30 and 50 hives, depending on the time of year. That's (laughs) awesome. kind of ridiculous. (laughs) I just think that's so cool. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I, who was I? I was telling someone, gosh, now I can't remember who it was. Someone that I was going to talk with someone on the podcast who who keeps bees. And they're like, oh my gosh, you should do a whole episode on that. And I was like, well, that doesn't really fit like the theme of the podcast, but I'm sure that if you want to know more, you can just, you know, follow along on, on Catherine's Instagram, which I will tag for, for all the listeners. Um, because occasionally the bees do make an appearance over there. <laughs> I know that I'm due for a bee update. Yes. It's just been hot. Yes. So yes. Yes. About all the update it is, is it's hot and I'm ignoring them. <laughs> oh man. So Catherine is, Catherine's with us today because, um, so kind of some backstory here and f- I'm going to let you kind of tell your own backstory here in a second, but we both grew up in Christian homes and in private school, the same, same private school, uh, for however many years. And, um, both of us have in our own ways, decided to, you know, stay with Christianity. Um, but it's definitely changed and it looks different for us in, in, in unique different ways, uh, than it did when we were in middle school and high school. And you probably are listening and and you say to yourself, well, of course it does because, you know, hopefully you've matured and you've, you know, grown up a little bit, but I mean, even more so than that, I mean, like some pretty, uh, some, some intense theological beliefs have shifted, even different, uh, denominational type shifts, things that, um, Maybe even people from our past might think we're a little crazy for in some ways, perhaps. Um, but let me let me ask you this. Uh, what are some different types of beliefs or positions that you had as a, as a younger person um, 
about Jesus, about the church, about Christianity that have changed? Like, what are the significant ones for you that if you look back, you're like, wow, that that aspect of my Christianity, that aspect of my theology has really changed. Um, and then after we kind of explore those, we can talk about a little bit more about like what brought that on um, for, for us in our process. But how would you kind of respond to that? Yeah. So I think it's interesting in, in, in a lot of ways, it's like so much has changed. And then in some ways I'm like, oh my gosh, nothing has changed because I'm still like pretty orthodox and like I'm creedal, like Nicene Creed, Apostles Creed. It's like check, 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 you know, which in some worlds that's uh, not uh, normal. Right. So uh, those things have stayed uh, the same, but I um, grew up Um, probably I would say the most significant thing when I was thinking about this question was probably my eschatology. Mm. I grew up going to um, Bible churches who just were pretty pre-trib, rapture-y. And, you know, that was kind of what my view on what is to come was basically let's circle the wagons, let's hang tight until Jesus takes us all away and everything goes to hell in a handbasket, but we're kind of taken away. And so that pretty much has completely shifted. Um, N.T. Wright's book, Surprised by Hope, was probably kind of the the thing that shifted me there. Just having a more, I don't know, I'd say holistic view on like, hey, the, the kingdom is coming here and now, and it's yet to come. And what we do here matters, how we steward the earth matters, how I steward my body matters. And so kind of going from just this real dualistic way of thinking about the world to a more holistic way. Um, That was a pretty big one for me. Mm, Yeah. I 100% echo everything you just said. (laughs) Uh, I mean, even, I mean, eschatology is is such a big thing. And I, I, I look back at different aspects of what I thought even, I mean, honestly, even, you know, five years ago, you know, but especially, in light of our conversation, knowing each other, you know, middle school and high school, thinking back to like those times. And I was so, um, (laughs) I was so intense about it. And I I think for me, I think for me, like part of it is like just been, uh, you can calm down a little bit, you know, like, (laughs) and just maybe like unclench your fists a little bit when it comes to, um, theology or when it comes to you know doctrine or whatever and and you all and and you know it's like oh by the way you don't you don't actually have all the answers as is evidenced by the fact that oh Lorian you have changed your positions on things so you weren't maybe right you know back then um so that for me has been another interesting aspect of of learning and growing is like oh I I can change my mind about something um which for me in different aspects uh, has been somewhat intimidating and I'd be interested to know your your journey with that, um, did you experience any pressure to not change or did you feel kind of this, what, what was that experience like when you began kind of being like, I'm going to move in a different direction still within, you know, Orthodox Christianity, but I'm going to kind of go in, in a different direction than maybe I had been going, or maybe I'd been raised to go in. Um, did you experience any resistance internally even, um, when it came to kind of growing in those different ways? You know, I, I feel like, um, you know, you and I, I like think back to us in like middle school and high school, like we were pretty nerdy and <laughs> in the, the ways that we related to theology and Bible and, and all those things. And I think I look back, I can look back on myself 
during those times with compassion of like, wow, you were really earnest and you really enjoyed this. And, and boy, did you have some things backwards just in as far as like what actually matters in the life of faith and, and, (laughs) and actually like, are you actually becoming like Christ or you just know a lot about Christ, you know? And so I, I would say like, it felt freeing in a lot of ways to shift from a person that was pretty heady about my faith to someone who kind of came to the end of myself and realized like, Hey, all this stuff I know is good and, and good to pursue, but ultimately kind of went through a period where I didn't do much. Like it was much theology. It was more just like, okay, how do I become less anxious and how to, how do things I believe about God affect my anxiety or, you know, just a whole host of things kind of during those college years where I really like turned down the volume on the like knowledge base faith Mm -hmm. and really turned up the volume on community and like shifting from a more like individualistic faith to a more communal understanding of the world, which, you know, once you do that, it like really impacts every little bit. And so I don't know if I faced much internal resistance. I think I felt freedom in a lot of ways and was kind of surrounded by a lot of people that were doing that. Um, I, you'd have to ask my mom. My mom and I have a great relationship, but I, I do wonder, like, did you think I was losing it at that time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was joking to her about the rapture and, you know, sarcastic, know it always, you know? Yeah. So I'm sure, I'm sure on some level she was probably like, huh, where is this going to go? But I don't think, I didn't feel any pressure from family or close friends of like, what are you doing, Catherine? It was more, huh, okay. Yeah. Keep me in the loop. <laughs> I, I I one time saw this thing, and I don't think it it doesn't really apply in in all the ways that it could, but it said something along the lines of, and this it was it was written by by a Orthodox you know believing Christian who is still very much involved in the church and following Jesus, but they wrote something like, "I've become the person my youth pastor warned me about." <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. that just really stuck out to me in a lot of ways where it's like I um I think again, you know, thinking back to, you know, when I was younger, but again, this applies even to in various ways to, you know, even 5 3 years ago or hopefully we're, you know, growing and changing even since then. Um but for me, I think one of the big aspects of some of the theological shifts and, you know, you mentioned eschatology and for me, another one was, you know, women in ministry and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, for me, it was really realizing that it's okay to ask questions. Um, yeah. And it's okay to, to not just accept things because that's what you've been told forever. And that was a really, um, like you said, freeing, but also in some ways jarring experience for me where I was like, Oh, I can ask questions about this or I can, you know, you about even eschatology or things like that. Like I can, there are other options out there. And that was expanding for me in a lot of ways, but just the, just the ability to ask questions and to do that in like you were talking about community and in safe spaces where, um, people weren't, you know, thinking that I was crazy or falling off the wagon or whatever, um, was huge for me. Um, what it, did was did you have any experience with that like with just being able to ask questions or did or am I maybe we just had really different experiences where I didn't feel like or I didn't realize that I could ask questions or or push back against different things yeah no I think I think 
I, I came to, to college and, and got involved with a, a church that was pretty uh, open-minded in the sense, not like, it, no, not progressive by any means, but just uh, a, like there were a lot of people there that were asking a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So it felt very safe to do that. Um, but I think the, the question I think I felt and can still feel, if I'm honest, at times of like, if I start picking this thing apart, it, will there be anything mm. left? You know, it, will I just pick it apart to the point where I'm like, okay, then let's throw it all the way. But I actually wrote down this quote because I think it really encapsulated what I found to be freeing. It's a little long, but Go for it. not too dense. But it says, um, communities that prematurely close down questions produce reactionary questioners a faith that's not oriented toward understanding is a faith in name only. And if a community shows no interest in understanding the revelation it purports to follow, then its children will react accordingly. When communities are reduced to repeating cliches, those with eager intellects in those communities will want to ask questions, but have no sense of questioning. Well, and that's by a guy named Matt Anderson. Mm, That's good. He's really um, sharp. And And I feel like that, I was blessed to have an environment that didn't react to questions, but I think that's rare. Mm -hmm. I think in general, um, in most faith communities, questions um, cause people to not necessarily like, you know, trying to believe the best. I don't think it's people just want to like shut down and like, no, just believe this way or get out, but just time and resources and energy, like getting into the weeds takes a lot from people. And I think, people in ministry and pastors have a lot on their plate. And so sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I don't necessarily have either the the emotional or just time to like really walk with people through that. Um, Right or wrong. I think that's just a reality most people in ministry face. And so I think like at the end of the day, being a faith community that doesn't prematurely close down questions is a real gift. Mm. And I think I was given that, um, in my, in my college years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually, I think you told me this on Instagram, maybe, um, real official communication in such. Uh, but I think yeah. you mentioned that you guys have, uh, you've joined a, a different, a new church, right? Different denomination. Yeah. You've gone through that. Could you kind of talk about that a little bit? How did you guys end up where you're at? What's that been like coming out of, you know, the kind of Bible church, uh, Southern Baptist, different situations that yeah. you were in. Um, can you talk about that process a little bit? Because I know so many people who are in some way along that road, um, in the, in their own life. Um, and I know that they would probably appreciate hearing someone who's at least a little bit further along, um, in that journey. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Bible churches. Um, I never actually went to a Baptist church. So I feel like I'm missing a little bit of like Southern. <laughs> well, you were, you were at a, a school that was Baptist enough. <laughs> yeah, Right. I, I get the, the bingo check mark then. Um, but, and then in college I went to, a, it was just a non-denominational church and I attended there for, um, a long time, 10 or, 10 or so years, but, um, just had a, shift, like just, you know, you know how church things go. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of layers, but when we eventually left that church, my husband and I, um, it was kind of in the middle of COVID and we didn't really know how do we even visit churches together? Cause we met at church. And so we never like went to a church together. So that's, you know, a lofty thing when you're married and my husband and I are very different people. We're not, um, 
not everyone's different, but you know, we're particularly different in how we engage spiritually, just personality wise. And so it's kind of a lofty thing of like, how do we find a church together? And in the middle of a pandemic where churches aren't even meeting, you know, it was really, really a mess. But um, I have always been drawn to in the last couple of years, like a more of a liturgical um, sacramental um, faith expression and, uh, and I don't know, I still don't know, like, is this a pendulum swing? Am I just moving from, you know, the highly kind of emotional, um, really Bible study based kind of non-denominational world to like, am I pendulum swing or is, you know, you don't know where you're going right. to land, but, um, was really drawn to like the idea that I'm drawn to novelty and I don't think that's good for my soul. Mm. And I think sometimes in, in, in the non-denominational world, you know, you're just constantly trying to reinvent the wheel in, in different ways that more um, mainline kind of dominations kind of like, this is who we are. We're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. So all that being said, I was kind of drawn to liturgy and kind of came uh, reading people like Tish Warren um, and just a few other uh, writers who were, happened to be Anglican. And some of my favorite musicians were Anglican, like Andrew Peterson. And yeah, I think Sandra McCracken at the time. And I was like, okay, if these people who I really like what they produce, you know, their writing, their music, their thoughts, like maybe there's something to that. And so I just Googled, you know, Anglican church, Bryan college station. And there was a little church plant, um, that was their meeting every other week. So I was like, Hey, this is a long shot. Cause I certainly don't think my husband's going to like, uh, a, like a high church, <laughs> more of a high church environment, but lo and behold, he really did. And so we've kind of been exploring that for a little over a year now. And I don't, I don't know if I would, you know, if someone said like, check your denomination, if I'd check Anglican at this point, but I've just been really blessed by the liturgy and the book of common prayer and, um, a higher view of the Eucharist than I've ever experienced before in my life. You know, just in my world, it was like we did communion whenever we thought about it. And it was just kind of haphazard and, you know, every week it being kind of the central part of the service is really powerful. So yeah, that's kind of my journey. And I feel like it's really in process because um, one just COVID type stuff and not knowing what, church is always going to look like. Um, but also just, it's very different than, than what I've, uh, grown up in. And so a lot, a lot of learning about sacramental theology and whatnot. Mm, Yeah. I, uh, I love high church and liturgy and all that stuff and, uh, have found kind of, kind of really resonated with various parts of your story. I found a lot of, um, wisdom in that and and even healing in different ways in in those types yeah. of environments and services and uh, I think for me to kind of go back to one of the things that we talked about at the top you know aspects of my theology or aspects of my just understanding of Christianity that have that have changed over the years one of them is is the Eucharist one of them is is that experience and that expression um because I had a very similar kind of experience as what you outlined, you know, kind of grew up in churches where, you know, maybe we did it once a month or once every other month. And it, it was, you know, it was nice. Like it was fine, but it, it was never, um, it was just different. Right. And I think that, um, you know, Anglican churches and 
different different denominations that really like you you said the eucharist is really the center of the service so like in other denominations like preaching is the center of the service or even um you know worship through through song could be the center of the service or something like that um but to experience and to kind of grow in my understanding of um the sacrament is has been really helpful for me so i would say that that's probably something that's that i you know i would have i would look ahead from you know younger Lorian to now and I'd be like, wow, you're really crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> like I would kind of, I would probably look at myself today and be like, you're a little, you know, woo woo or a little, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know what I, word I would use, but, um, I don't know that that's been really helpful for me in a lot of ways. Um, and man, I think you're so right that, more of these these liturgical based denominations and, and, and groups and such, in so many ways, they're not um, scrambling like a lot of churches do to, like you said, reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to, you know, create new programming every however many months or years. We're not trying to rebrand ourselves. We're not trying to whatever. And I think there's a piece to that. Um, now, granted, there's you know, good with the bad, right? But I think there's a piece that can come from that in some ways where um, it's just a little, it feels a little bit more steady to me. I don't know if maybe that's, I don't know. To me, it just feels steady, more steady, I think. Yeah, because I'm certainly not one that's like, oh my gosh, I found the silver bullet and everyone needs to become an <laughs> Anglican or be into the liturgy. I just think that is like so unhelpful in the larger scheme of things because I think um, diversity and and not like, like diversity is more of a loaded word, but I mean it narrowly and narrowly in this sense of like just different expressions of faith and styles of faith. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. And I think we have a tendency sometimes, and I can, I can have to catch this in myself of going, Hey, like just because you're really into this new thing doesn't mean you get to look back on something that you were once a part of like, look down your nose at it, right. you know, because you did that for 28.5 years of your life, you know? So I want to resist that like temptation in myself to once I like, I don't get to be enlightened. It's just like a new facet of the larger church. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, and I think there's things we can learn, you know, from both sides. And I think I've learned a lot about just kind of like you said about, you know, I feel like it used to be just like, if the sermon was a dud, which they are duds of a sermon, you know, then what was the point of that? And now I think I've realized like, oh, even though I would say in my head, like, it's not just about the sermon. I know that in my head, but that's kind of what it was Mm -hmm. when you spend 40 to minutes to an hour on a sermon. If it's not good, that feels like a weird Sunday. Whereas now sermons are 20 minutes maybe. And, um, yeah, the Eucharist is, is a huge deal and, and the prayers and the liturgy, you know, just reframes kind of what, what everything like is going to look like on a Sunday. So, but neither is right or wrong. I just think for me in this season, it's been really healing and been really refreshing. And I think has, um, led to like formation Mm. in different ways that I just feel like have been completely absent from my, um, my spiritual walk thus far. Yeah. And I think you, you bring up a really good point. And I've, I've talked about it with a few other people on different episodes where there is this temptation in all of us, I think, to 
once we leave something or move out of something or kind of grow out of something even to swing the pendulum to the complete opposite side and somehow in swinging the pendulum we come away feeling enlightened or we come away feeling you know holier than thou or all of the people i've left behind just don't have this new secret knowledge or better experience or clearer understanding of the divine that i now have or whatever um and i talked to so many people who have been really wounded by that um because like their friend or or their you know someone in their community leaves and they're not wounded by their leaving like that people move on people leave that happens but what wounds them and what hurts them is when their friends like the pendulum swings for their friends and then their friends start um looking down on them or you know trying to pressure them into changing the same way or you know talking to them as if they're not um you know whatever whatever enough and it's it can be really really tempting to do that because i think we are um, we're tempted to be reactionary sometimes just as human beings. We're tempted to react and, and instead of like thoughtfully responding. Um, and I've seen that a lot with people. Um, and I have to fight that in myself to be sure, but, um, you know, switching churches or, you know, growing or, or kind of shedding different aspects of theology and, and changing them is, is a ripe ground for that kind of internal, um, fault that we, I think we're all drawn to. So I think you make a really good point that, you know, to, to be careful to watch out for those types of pendulum swings when we do go through these types of changes, because it's just, it's one of the huge pitfalls, I think, um, that I just, I honestly, again, fight myself a lot, but have just seen over and over and over again. And it just seems to me that it's really, really damaging. Yeah, Hmm. I, I totally agree. I have to fight that in myself regularly. Um, And I think just remember, like, I think the reminder I try to remind myself of is just like, just take a step back, Catherine, (laughs) and realize that like you believed that same thing 10 minutes ago. And so it took you a decade to make your shift, you know, like something like um, women's ordination, you know, I've, I've made a shift on that as well. Like you, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm uh 80% 80% sure on it. You know, I think there's, I'm still open-minded enough that I can be wrong on that. It, it, to me, it's, uh, people in good faith can make arguments, uh, theologically on both sides of that, but I've, you know, I've swung that way, but if someone doesn't, I don't get to like <laughs> arrogantly, like look down on them because literally, uh, maybe three to four years ago, I believed the exact same thing. And it took a long time mm-hmm. to, to come to a different understanding. And so, man, I think the thing that we can offer to each other is, is mercy and curiosity and understanding as we're all, you know, on our own journeys and trying to figure it out. And I think we prematurely shut down really good conversations with our own arrogance that I think is often linked up to our own insecurities. Mm. Because when we make big shifts, I think there's probably somewhere deep inside of us that feel really insecure about that. And what do we do to overcompensate for insecurity? Like we're very passionate about it. And so, um, I think that's what I have to remind myself too. Like, is this actually coming from a place of insecurity or actual conviction? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there is, man, there is that temptation to, to be frustrated with people when, when, (laughs) and this sounds so foolish, but this is what we do. We get frustrated with people when they're not as far along as we, as we think they should be, or we think, whatever measure that we're using as quote far along, which is faulted from the start to be sure. Um, but man, I just see so much 
frustration and pain and and confusion and stuff that happens when um that type of of pendulum swing happens or when people and man you're so right that that we we well it took me a long time to get where i am on certain theological beliefs that i have now it took me a long time and who knows where I'll be in three years, right? Like the, hopefully I'm holding things loosely enough to where I can continue to be shaped and grow and learn. Um, that's, you know, always been my prayer is that I could, I could continue to grow and always be willing to change my mind and always be willing to, to, you know, listen well, um, and try to receive, you know, what, what I'm learning. But it's, it's so hard when, and I think I think part of it is we if you go through that, if you if 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 someone, you know, if you're the person who's changing and growing and learning and kind of having your world shaken up in a lot of ways, it can be really painful to get through that process and be at the well, you know, perceivably at the end of it and not have your same people around you anymore and not have people who um, agree with you and not have people who are on board with where you've landed. Um, that can also be really lonely, I think, for a lot of people, which is which is another reason I think why people get um, reactionary and get kind of defensive yeah. about it. Um, because it, I, I can't remember I can't remember who said this quote, but I heard it once, and it said, you know, it's it's a really painful thing to go through this kind of death and resurrection process in your belief system, and when you you know resurrect, basically, you no one recognizes you. And they're like, it's, it can be really painful. Um, but I think that even in that, we have to be careful not to be overly frustrated with the people who haven't gone through that process in their own way yet as as the Spirit's leading them. Um, but I think it's, I think you're right. We just have to handle it with a lot of gentleness and and even more so than gentleness, I think just humility because you're exactly right. We I believe the same thing that I'm frustrated at someone believing a year ago and they just haven't they haven't had time to go on that journey yet and they might not be called to go on that journey. I don't know. Um, but I think, I think you're exactly right, but I think it is a lonely place sometimes to be going through, um, changes or shifts. And I think that that's not something, that's not really something I I talk about with a lot of people is the loneliness that can happen, um, in those, in those transformations. Yeah. I, I think, I think good faith disagreement is just a really hard place to be. Mm. Like, I'm not talking about the extremes on both sides of whatever issue you're talking about, but like sincere, good people who disagree is still a really hard place to be. But I just am more and more convinced, like until Christ returns, like we have to get more comfortable with that and grow in our ability to like have those conversations and those disagreements in kind of like a non-anxious way. And I think that's really hard because each person has to be in a place where they're not operating kind of out of this anxious, I want to win this. I want to convince you uh, kind of place. And I think reading Eugene Peterson has been huge for me in that regard because he just models like one, he like, before he was famous for the message, he was just a pastor. You know, he wasn't like, he wasn't this like star most of his career. And I think you see when you read books that people have written about him or his own works, it's just like, he offered that like really non-anxious presence in people's lives. um, And just kind of resting in the fact that like, Hey, good, good, sincere, solid people disagree on this. And we can kind of sit in that and, and, and see how it goes. But I think it's a really difficult thing, particularly to do in 
kind of our culture that just like really, really sucks at um, the the middle way or not just like demonizing the other side because the extremes of the other side are terrible. Mm, yeah. No. And I mean, I've been, I've been very blessed with, you know, friendships with people who, I mean, close friendships with some of my, my closer friends where we, you know, we don't agree on everything. And fortunately for the most part, we've been able to talk about those things and hopefully have done it, you know, without <laughs> creating too many wounds in the other. And, and I, for the most part, I think that, that we've we've done a decent job of it but man it is work it is not yeah. it's not easy um but you also you know we my desire i hope that i create friendships where people can feel like they can be their authentic self and not have to like pretend that they agree with me you know on things um because i i mean i am i i am on safeta church i teach theology classes i teach you know bible studies i do all this stuff and so you know i have to continually be aware of, you know, am I creating and cultivating spaces where people feel like they can disagree or ask a question or grow or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, am I doing that in the places where I'm leading? Um, but then like you said, am I also doing that in, you know, in friendships? Am I, am I having, you know, helpful conversations with my friends who have, you know, that we have different points of view on different things, um, and honestly, I think for me, that's been one of the, the richest grounds for growth has been in friendships where I feel like I can pose questions or, you know, whatever, um, without the fear of them, you know, lashing out or going, oh my gosh, Lorian, you're falling off the bandwagon of Christianity altogether. And how are we going to get you back on track? And, you know, do you even love Jesus anymore? Or whatever it is. Um, for the most part, I've been blessed with friendships that people are just steady. And I think just like you said about Eugene, um, just this kind of calm, steady presence that recognizes that, yes, we should be passionate about what we believe. Yes, we should, you know, desire to share Christ with the world. Yes, we should be excited about all these things. But I think there is really something that this world is lacking when it comes to people who, like you said, just are that calm, steady presence um, who aren't going to be rattled if you come to them and you're like, Hey, um, what do you think about this? Or I actually disagree with you on this. Um, and I think that's just, I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give the world is to be those types of people in our communities in our families in our churches, even, um, because I mean, church can be one of the most pol polarizing places on the planet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I feel, I feel much more equipped to kind of be that presence in like individual relationships, because once you get in a church environment, you know, it's, it's an organization that has like, well, all organizations have to have boundaries on some level in order to be an organization. And I feel like that's where I feel like so much of the pain comes is because I think it's hard for an organization to kind of kind of be nifty in how they engage the, the really hard questions and the really, um, polarizing questions, you know, I think it's much harder for an entity to do that than an individual, yeah. um, unfortunately. And I think that's where right or wrong, a lot of the, the pain with, um, faith based things comes. Mm, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, so I kind of, I kind of shared a little bit of my answer to this question earlier when I said, you know, I would, I would probably tell my younger self to calm down. <laughs> 
Um, but, and again, maybe this is a cheesy question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. If you could tell, you know, younger Catherine something about the faith or your, your Christian journey or, you know, whatever, um, what would, what, or maybe even just what would you tell someone who, who was younger, who was considering kind of growing in their faith and trying to find Christ, you know, wherever they, they land, um, what would you, what would you tell your younger self or someone in your shoes, um, about, about the faith journey and about Christianity? Um, probably like you, I tell myself to calm down, <laughs> um, in a lot of ways or, or just not be, I keep saying the word anxious, but I feel like it's probably a word that really has, uh, been something that I've had to like work through, um, in the last decade of my life, but like, don't, to, to resist that kind of like anxious way of engaging with questions and doubts and problems and, um, other people and the flaws of the church and the flaws of men, you know, like try to resist, um, kind of that anxious reactionary way that, you know, you most, your gut instinct is to react that way, but resist that. Um, I think I would tell myself that like, habits and uh, like forming habits that lead to kind of a slower formation um, is really where you should be putting your energy Um, that like you can read a lot of dense books and listen to a lot of podcasts. You know, you can do all these things that's kind of like novelty and like stimulation, but what's going to actually form you to be more like Christ over the long haul is these like slow, steady habits, um, that you can like put in your life. And I don't mean that in the traditional, like wake up every morning and have a quiet time. Um, I mean that in the sense of like noticing beauty, like intake, like your intake needs to be good and beautiful things, Mm -hmm. whether that's art or music or gardening or beekeeping or, you know, whatever (laughs) the thing is like that your intake is beauty and goodness um, rather than like just the intake of anxiety or cynicism or just looking at all the problems and brokenness. Um, like we have to do that just by being a human in the world. But I think like encouraging the younger me to like make space and time to take in beautiful and good things, um, and make that a habit because I think, I think that's what I feel like I've learned a lot over the past couple of years, as far as liturgy goes, just, saying old prayers that people prayed for thousands of years instead of me trying to like sit there and come up with something that may be heretical, you know, if you actually think about it, (laughs) but um, like just really like saying some of these same prayers every day through the daily office, I feel like has radically changed um, the way I think and the way I process. Um, And so I would encourage my younger self to like take, take up some of those practices um, and habits um, rather than kind of seeking novelty or to reinvent the wheel. Um, and I think there's, um, one, let me try to remember one catechism that I feel like has been really powerful that I would want to tell my own, my younger self is, uh, I think the question is what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong body, soul and life and death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if my memory is right, but I think that's it. Um, and so I think that is what I would tell my younger self, like all the things that you put your hope in that feel really good, like come back to this, 
that that you're not your own and that will lead to um sounds cheesy but that will lead to more freedom than trying to comfort yourself with a whole host of things that that aren't actually sustainable amen Mm, that's good yes that'll preach right there yeah so everyone should take up beekeeping (laughs) yeah um get put down you'll rarely hear me say this y'all so take it take it in this moment put down the thick theology book and go outside and get some bees um and help the planet (laughs) yeah Um, it really it really i would if someone would have told me that i keep bees and i would love my garden and my plants i would be like you are joking (laughs) like i don't like those things but really it has it sh- it just shifts everything. Absolutely. Just like, oh, look at my my potato vine is so limpy. But if I water it right now, tomorrow it will be full again. Of just and how that just how that plays, you know, as a parent with my kids of like, oh, you're really grumpy and tired. Like, let's get you a big glass of water and let's cuddle on the couch and take deep breaths and like, oh, look, you're you're coming back to right? life. Again. <laughs> no, you're so right. I think because we do, we're so tempted to to just try harder and to try to intake more information rather than to just try to practice and, and have rhythms of um, grace in our lives and rhythms of spiritual rest and rhythms that give us life. Um, So, man, I think that's good wisdom from you. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, uh, Yes, but everyone keep, go get some bees, Uh, you know, check with your zoning board first, but go get some bees. (laughs) Oh man. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for, um, your willingness to, to be on an episode. I, you just so much wisdom and, and kindness and grace. Um, I really appreciate your time, uh, to talk to us this week. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And for those of you who are new listeners, old listeners, make sure that you have, you know, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, um, give us a rating. All that stuff is immensely helpful. Um, and until next week, take care. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurienhook.com.